This morning we are going to look at a clip. Um, it's from the movie called City Slickers. Has anybody seen City Slickers? I think my husband could probably quote it. Um, for those of you that haven't seen the movie, it is about three men um, that live in the city, and they are um, lost. They're reaching the point of a midlife crisis. Uh, they're having problems in their marriages, problems with their jobs, and they just decide they're going to get away from the city because it's lost its charm for them. And they go on a, uh, a ride in the mountains, a cattle drive in the mountains, in open country, and there was a guy named Curly, who was kind of scary, who led the whole um, thing. He was played by Jack Talents. I think I'm saying that name right. And um, anyway, this scene that we're about to show you is when he and um, Billy Crystal's character were, going, were riding side by side, and he was giving um, him some wisdom. So let's take a look at it. Cowboy leads a different kind of life when there were cowboys. They're a dying breed. Still means something to me, though. A couple of days, they'll move this herd across the river, driving through the valley. Oh, <laughs> there's nothing like bringing in a herd. See, now that's great. Your life makes sense to you. <laughs> What's so funny? You city folk, how old are you? 38. 39. Yeah. You all come up here about the same age, same problems. Spend about 50 weeks a year getting knots in your rope, and then, and then you think two weeks up here will time for you. None of you get it. Do you know what the secret of life is? No, what? This. Your finger? One thing. Just one thing. That's great, but... What's the one thing? That's what you gotta figure out. Well, I'm kind of convinced after watching that clip that nothing I say in my sermon is going to do any good. We actually are going to only be able to find out what this one thing is if we're on a cattle drive in open country with a cigarette hanging outside of our mouth. So we can just all go home and watch the Cowboys play at noon. All right. I... Oh, come on. I was wondering if you were going to catch that. Be careful. My dad is here this morning. He'll beat you all up. Um, let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this morning that we get to come and, and worship who you are. God, my heart's desire is for you to speak through me this morning that, um, that these people here would hear your words, not mine, um, Lord, and that you would open all of our hearts and all of our minds, and that when we um, hear your call, Lord, when we hear your voice, that we would not harden our hearts, Lord. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, what is the one thing to life? Some of you would say it would be winning the lottery. Some of you would say a nicer car, a newer house, a bigger house, a yacht, Living on the beach, maybe in Malibu, that would be a good one. A better job, a better husband, a better wife. We all have different one things. Um, let's see what scripture has to say about this one thing. We're going to be in Luke 10, 38 through 42 today. So if you would turn with me there, we'll read what it says. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. 
she had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Well, before we go any further, it's important for you to know whether you have the personality type more like Martha or more like Mary. It's actually not really that important, but I just thought it would be fun to do. So, are you constantly on the go, constantly doing? We have a clip somewhere. Slide. All right. Uh, Do you have more on your to-do list than you can possibly do in a lifetime? Are you always thinking about the next thing to do? Are you determined? Social? Are you a multitasker and actually think that you're good at it? Are you hardworking? Do you overcommit? I would know nothing about that. Are you assertive, outspoken, practical, efficient, like to be in charge, responsible? Or if you have a personality type more like Mary, you might identify with these things. You're quiet, you're laid back, you're idealistic, adaptable, emotional, tolerant, sensitive, I know none of you guys are going to say y'all are are Mary's, Uh, relaxed, patient, calm, self-controlled, and contemplative. So let's take a look at the two again together. All right, if you guys are uncomfortable saying that you're Martha or Mary just because of the names, you can change it to Marv or Marty. But I would like to show a show of hands. This is kind of fun going around on stool. I'd like a show of hands um, who in here uh, I, uh, identifies more with Martha. Okay. I think y'all are lying, some of you. All right. Who identifies more with Mary? Wait, some of you didn't raise your hands. <laughs> cheaters, cheaters. All right. Well, as you can see, there's more Marthas than there are Marys. Which, which type do you think that I am? you're right and you know I didn't realize that I really honestly did not realize that until I started doing prep for this sermon um preparing sermons man they they make you take a a deep look at yourself and sometimes it's really scary but anyway um now neither one of those are right they're both good godly women Martha and Mary are both good and godly so um let's face it we live in a Martha world I read an article that said Americans work more hours than any other major industrial nation. The Germans work an annual average of 1,421 hours a year. The French, 1,564. The Japanese, 1,784. And the Americans, 1,804. All of these nations have cut their annual hours by 16 to 20% in the last 40 years. Guess what? Americans have not. We have stayed the same. As long as 1840, Alex de Tocqueville wrote, I am puzzled by this feverish ardor with which Americans pursue their own welfare. The strange unrest of so many happy men, restless in the midst of abundance. I'll read that again. It's kind of convicting. 
I am puzzled by this feverish ardor with which Americans pursue their own welfare, this strange unrest of so many happy men restless in their midst of abundance. We have a lot of abundance in America. A recent paper from professors uh, from the University of Texas and the University of Michigan argues that working long hours for many may be an addiction akin to alcoholism and smoking. The paper is entitled, The Economics of Workaholism. The guilty subtitle is, we should have not written this paper. <laughs> All right, so back to scripture. So it's short notice. We assume that Martha didn't know that Jesus was coming. It just said he came into town and she welcomed him to her home. Um, he had all of his disciples with him and whoever else may have been following him, which scholars say could have been over 100 people. So here's, here's, here's Martha, and she's all of a sudden got probably 100 people coming to her house unexpectedly. And isn't it true that we tend to prep our house for, prepare our house for the, for the kind of the caliber of people that are coming over? Like, for instance, if my brother's coming over, I'm not going to clean. I'm not going to go to the grocery store. I mean, he can bring his own chips, right? I'm not going to entertain him. I mean, his family is just there, right? But if somebody I don't know very well comes over or uh, somebody important comes over, man, <laughs> sorry, but I start... Uh, I start noticing everything that's wrong. I notice the fingerprints on the stainless steel in the kitchen, which I asked George to clean before we have company. I start, except for my brother, I start noticing paint that needs to be retouched. I start noticing stains on the carpet. I start noticing that the front porch needs to be swept, that the bushes need to be cut, that the pool needs to be cleaned. I'm not kidding, people. I notice everything. And I think that's true of all of us. It depends on who's coming over. But you guys, Martha was having God come over. She was having the guest of guests. So can you imagine what she was going through? Um, one time I had, uh, when Jeffrey, Pastor Jeffrey, our former senior pastor, for those of you that are guests with us, uh, he and Julie had just moved to town, and I had them over for dinner. And I don't cook a lot anyway, as many of you know, John Ballard, don't say a word, don't even look at me. And um, uh, so I, w I was just a nervous wreck. I cleaned my house for two days before they got there. I mean, I cleaned everything, grout with a toothbrush, like they're going to go in my shower, seriously. And I, and I, I locked the bathrooms two days beforehand, all except for one. Everybody had to use the same bathroom. And we were new Christians, too, so I, I, you know, I'd never had a pastor over for dinner before. So um, anyway, I didn't let the kids use that bathroom. Uh, I was screaming at anybody who dropped a crumb. I mean, I was a maniac. So uh, I even went and bought new dishes, I have to confess. My dishes weren't good enough. I don't think I've ever told Jeffrey and Julie this. I'm sorry, my mouth is very dry today, but... Uh, yeah, so I think I might have even asked George to pressure wash the driveway. <laughs> yep, he gets very, very afraid uh, when we're having important company. So, uh, anyway, now, now Martha's sister Mary is there, and she's just sitting at the feet of Jesus. I imagine that when Jesus and the guys uh, came in, she was probably helping Mary serve. I mean, Martha served. She, she probably took their belongings, their cloaks, their tunics, or whatever you wore back in those days, and took them from them and set them down. And, um, but she, there was just something about Jesus that was drawing her to him. And so she, she probably just, I can just imagine her staring at him and just being drawn to him. And next thing you know, she's pouring the wine for the guests, for the men. And 
Uh, she just can't get her eyes off of Jesus. There's a magnetism about him. Uh, there's a charm about him that she just can't get away from. And so the next thing you know, little by little, she's creeping in and she finds herself at the feet of Jesus, which in that day was rare because women did not sit in there with the men. They served them. Well, now Mary and Martha, I'm going to get them confused through this whole thing, so forgive me. Martha is in there, and she is working her tail off. I mean, she is cooking. She is doing measuring things out, doing all of the stuff that you do. I don't cook, so I don't really know what all that is. But she's in there preparing for this big, huge meal that she has to feed 100 people for. And all of a sudden, she notices that, Mar that Mary is nowhere around. So she's looking, she looks out, and she sees Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she is annoyed. She is like, are you kidding me? I am doing all of this work on my own, and she's in there sitting with the men. And I can just imagine, because this is how I would be. Um, we recently had a painting, staff painting day, and I was kind of watching how much everybody else did and uh, making sure that they did their part. So I, I, uh, I am a Martha. So this is how I would be. She was probably slamming cabinet doors trying to get Mary's attention. She was probably banging pots and pans and, and opening and closing drawers and turning on water and turning off water and whatever. And she just was making noise, and she is just looking to see if Mary is noticing, and Mary is not paying a bit of attention to her. And she is getting more and more and more mad by the minute. And I, I think she was probably thinking, you know what? I bet Jesus would agree with me. I bet he is irritated that Mary is a woman and she is sitting down there at his feet and she's not doing a thing. Jesus gets this service thing. That's what he came to do. He came to serve, so he gets it. So she is just, the more she's thinking about it, she's just getting more mad and I can just see her. She's, she's uh, stirring the stew and some slops out and it burns her and then that makes her mad, so she's wiping it up and uh, when she, she went to throw it into the cleaning bucket, the, she missed and it got on the floor. I mean, I mean, you know, she's just in a tizzy. And so everything is going wrong, and it is all Mary's fault because she is sitting on her bottom doing nothing. So one thing leads to another thing. She's convinced herself that Jesus is going to take her side. So she goes out, and she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work myself? Tell her to help me. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't think it's a really good idea to boss Jesus around. It's kind of wrong on a lot of levels. Uh, Martha has lost her temper, and she's pitched a fit in front of a whole, whole bunch of people. Uh, and more than that, she's forgotten who's in her house. She's forgotten who's in her house. And she's treated Jesus like a servant because she said, tell her to help me. So at this point, there's a lot of men looking at her and looking at Jesus, I imagine, to see what he was going to do. And you know what? Catch how Jesus uh, responds to her. He says, really gently. And, and I imagine he's probably amused. Don't you think that Jesus gets amused? I used to not think so, but... Uh, I was so serious about it. I just was convinced that Jesus was so serious, but I think that he gets amused at us. And uh, he's probably smiling, uh, maybe even a little bit playful with her, and he says, Martha, Martha, you were worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. 
In other words, Martha, Martha, it's okay. Calm down. I love you. Come sit with me. I don't need you to cook me a meal right now. The better thing is just to come and hang with me, and then we can all get up and, and do the meal, but just come with me. Calm yourself. And he's just so gentle. He loves her. He's not condemning her. He's not condemning her for her service because her service isn't wrong. Um, also, I want you to catch something. The word um, preparations, I, I use the NASB, but NIV has the word preparations in it. And that word preparations in the Greek means ministry. So it's not that Martha's doing things that are bad. They're all good things that she's doing. I mean, Jesus needs to eat, right? But she has gotten distracted from the thing that she was doing, from her ministry. And so I just wanted to point that out to you guys. And um, anyway, Jesus just tells her, you must, you must put me first. Um, some people think that a lot of commentaries were pitting the two against each other when I was studying for this. Um, that, that Martha was all bad and Mary was all good, and that's just not the case. Both are, both are needed. And in fact, the next time we read about Jesus coming to Martha's home, they were friends, you see. Uh, she's doing exactly the same thing. She's serving. John 12, 1 through 2 tells us that six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, again. And guess what it says about Martha? It says, Martha served. So I think the point of the scripture here is Mary first. And then Martha second. So worshiping first and then serving second. Spend time with Jesus and then get stuff done. Worship, work. Pastor uh, and writer Max Lucado tells about the time that he was teaching his daughter um, to ride a bike. And she went down a hill, started going down a hill, and her little legs uh, had to go faster and faster as the bike picked up speed and um, he, he's kind of freaking out. The handlebars were shaking, and, and he's reminding her, he, he screams out, and he reminds her, you know, put on the brakes. And she says, Daddy, I can't. I don't remember how to put, how to stop pedaling. And so she crashed. Uh, and I think that, that we're so much like this little girl. We go, and we do, and we're busy, and we worry about things that we can't control, and we forget how to put on the brakes. After all, we have a lot to do, a lot of important stuff to do, and we also have a lot to worry about. We start our day busy because we sleep until the very last second because we've either been up late or, um, or we um, watch TV too late or we just like to sleep. So we start our day late, we get frantic. Um, we're trying to get kids up, we're trying to get to work, we're trying to get kids fed. It doesn't matter if you're a man or woman, your day starts off frantic when you get up late. So we're busy, we're frantic. We're on the way, we're taking the kids to school, or we're getting them on the bus or whatever. We either on the way there discover that they've forgotten something, and, or they call us and say we've forgotten something, so we have to go back home and get whatever they forgot and bring it up to them. By this time, you're way late to work, you're stressed out about that. You're wondering if you're going to lose your job. And that makes you worry about the economy. And the economy's bad. I may lose my job. And what if, my, what if uh, I lose my job? Am I going to be able to pay the bills? Am I going to be able to feed my children? Am I going to be able to clothe my children? And when you finally get to work, you're just frazzled. You're late. Then you have to leave to take your daughter or your son or your wife or your husband or your parent to the, your aging parent to the doctor, 
Sorry, I have no idea why I'm so dry today. And on the way there, you're worried that if, if it's the kids you're taking, you're worried that, are they, what about their grades? What are they going to miss? How are they doing in school? What friends are they hanging out? I mean, we worry about everything, right? We just make up things to worry about. We're, we're worried about how we can protect them from bad influences. So if an aging parent we're taken to the doctor, we're thinking, how am I possibly going to have time to take care of this parent, and how do I get them through this transition? And um, just as all sorts of worries are filled our heads. So we get to the doctor's appointment, we get the kids back to school, or what, you know, whatever the case may be, we're just constantly busy. And we get back to work, it's lunchtime, but we don't get to eat lunch because we miss so much time at work, so we skip lunch which makes us cranky, makes us hungry, makes us even more distracted. We finally get back into our work. It's about 3 o'clock. We're frantic. We haven't gotten anything done, right? And it's almost 5. It's almost time to get off. And so we're, we're trying to just cram everything in and get all the work done. And then there's the distractions, the phone calls, the, the unexpected um, person stops into your office. I mean, it just goes on and on, right? And then it's 5 o'clock, you're leaving, there's traffic, you don't get home till 6.30, on your way home, you're thinking about what am I going to feed the kids, what am I going to feed my husband, what am I going to feed my wife, I haven't gone to the grocery store, I still need to go to Target and get a costume, I need to do this, I need to do that, whatever the case may be, you probably don't think that every day that you need a costume, but you know the case. So you're frantic, by the time you get home, you are just ready to blow Everything that anybody says annoys you. You're trying to get kids fed. You're trying to get them baths. You're trying to help with homework. You still have work to do that you didn't finish because you were distracted all day. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. It's never ending. Never ending. And then at the end of the day, you think, wow, I didn't spend any time with Jesus. Well, I'll just have to try again tomorrow because I didn't have time. You didn't have time. That's always the case. We don't have time to spend with Jesus. Charles Hummel calls this the tyranny of the urgent. I think it's on the screen. He says, we live in constant tension between the urgent and the important. The problem is that the important task rarely must be done today or even this week. Extra hours of prayer and Bible study can wait. But the urgent tasks call for instant action. Endless demands pressure every hour and every day. Does that sound familiar? It does to me. The 24 hours that we're allotted in a day, it just isn't enough time. It doesn't stretch far enough to meet all of the obligations that we face. Meanwhile, the world clamors, do more. Be all that you can be. But our Father whispers, be still and know that I am God. We get so caught up in doing, doing, and worrying that sometimes we forget the good news of Jesus Christ and what a blessing and a joy and a privilege it is just to be in his presence. And it just becomes one more thing to do. Being in his presence becomes one more thing to do. I'm speaking for myself here, people. But friends, you know what Jesus says to us? He says, Michelle, Michelle, or Matt, Matt. John, John, Connie, Connie. And he says it gently. He says, you are worried and distracted about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Friends, we have to make a choice to whether we seek the best part 
there are a lot of good things we do. Ministry is a good thing. But there are a lot of things uh, that we do that we don't have to do. And we have to choose the best part. Jesus is the best part. In his book, First Things First, Stephen Covey tells the story um, of, a, of a time management class that he wasn't teaching it, but he observed it. And um, the, the instructor pulls out a jar, uh, a big old gallon jar, and he starts putting in it fist-sized rocks. And if you've been at this church for any amount of time, you've seen Pastor Jeffrey do this experiment, but he starts filling the, the jar with, with rocks, fist-sized rocks. And he asks his class, after he's got it to the top, he says, is this jar full? And they say yes. So then he takes the pea gravel and he starts pouring the pea gravel in and it flows through the rocks and it goes all the way to the top and it fills it up. And then he, said, then he asked the class, is this jar full? And they said, yes. No. Then he takes the sand and he starts pouring, pouring sand in and it filters through the fist-sized rocks and the pea gravel and it goes all the way down to the bottom and he fills it to the top. And he says, is this jar full? And they're like, at this point, they're just gun-shy, so they're not saying anything. Then he takes the water, pours it in, and it fills it all the way to the top. And he says, is the jar full? And they say, yes. And he says, what does this illustration mean? What's the point of it? And one, one guy uh, yells out, no matter how busy we are, there's always time to do more. And he, he said, no, no, that's not the point of it. He said, you always have to put the big rocks first or they'll never get in. Friends, we have to put Jesus first or we'll never get him in. It's a powerful picture of a powerful truth. It sounds like the same point that Jesus is making in Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. First things first. Jesus was saying, take care of my business, and I'll take care of yours. Make room, your, make room in your heart for me, and I will make room for everything else. You know, when it comes down to it, it's really just a choice. We make time for what we want to do. If we want to watch TV, we make time for it. If we want to go exercise, which I don't, but if we wanted to, we would make time for it. Whatever the case may be, whatever it is that you want to do, play golf, whatever, you're going to make time for it. And that's just what it comes down to. If we thought that it was important enough to spend time with God and put him first, we would do it. I'm guilty. Sometimes I just, I just think that, that we don't want enough, that we just don't want God. We, we just don't, we want enough God just to make us happy, just to, to make us calm, but not enough to inconvenience us. We, we don't like to be inconvenienced. Wilbur Rees wrote, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my seat, sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Well, you know what, friends? We're not alone. Many, many great women, men and women have struggled with putting God first, with hammering out time with the Savior. I love the uh, candor and the humor of J. Sidlow Baxter. He was a minister from the 1920s as he describes his battle to reestablish a regular devotional life, which he had gotten away from it. 
Uh, I asked Nick to put it on the screen for you because it's written in long ago in the 1920s. uh, (laughs) As never before, my will and I stood face to face. I asked my will the straight question, Will, are you ready for an hour of prayer? Will answered, here I am. I'm quite ready if you are. So Will and I linked arms and turned to go for our time of prayer. At once, all the emotions began pulling the other way and protesting. Well, you're not coming. I saw Will stagger just a bit, so I asked, Can you stick it out, Will? And Will replied, Yes, I can if you can. So Will went, and we got down to prayer, dragging those wiggling obstruct... I should have known how to pronounce this before I said it. We're going to skip that. Emotions with us. (laughs) It was a struggle all the way. At one point, when Will and I were in the middle of an earnest intercession, I suddenly found one of those traitorous emotions had snared my imagination and had run off to the golf course. And it was all I could do to drag the wicked rascal back. A bit later, I found another of the emotions had sneaked away with some off-guard thoughts, and I was in the pulpit two days ahead of schedule, preaching a sermon I had not yet, yet finished preparing. At the end of the hour, if you had asked me, have you had a good prayer time? or have you had a good time, I would have had to reply, no, it has been a wearying wrestle with the contrary emotions and a truant imagination from beginning to end. What is more, that battle with the emotions continued for between two and three weeks, and if you had asked me at the end of that period, had you had a good time in your daily praying, I would have to confess, no, at times it has seemed as though the heavens were brass and God too too distant to hear. Sound familiar? And the Lord Jesus strangely aloof, and our prayer accomplished nothing. Yet something was happening. For one thing, Will and I really taught the emotions that we were completely independent of them. Did you know that you're completely independent of your emotions? That's kind of hard to hard thing to grasp. Also, one morning, about two weeks after the contest had began, just when Will and I were going for another time of prayer, I overheard one of the emotions whisper to the other. Come on, you guys. It is no use wasting any more time resisting. They'll go just the same. That morning, for the first time, even though the emotions were still suddenly uncooperative, they were at least quiescent. Probably not how you say it. Which allowed Will and me to get on with prayer undistractedly. Then another couple of weeks later, what do you think happened? During one of our prayer times, when Will and I were no more thinking of the emotions than any man in the moon, one of the vigorous of the emotions, one of the most vigorous of the emotions, unexpectedly sprang up and shouted, Hallelujah! At which all the other emotions exclaimed, Amen! And for the first time, the whole of my being, intellect, will, and emotion was united in one coordinated prayer operation. It takes discipline. It takes persistence. It's not easy to, to slow down and spend time with God when we have a thousand other things pulling at us. And I remind you, some of them are good things. But Jesus is trying to tell us what this one thing is that will fulfill us in life. And it's not found in doing more. It's not found in having more. It's not found in worrying. It's found in a deeper friendship with God. And the only requirement for that is to show up and have an open heart and be ready to receive. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29, 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. That's what Mary did. She set aside everything she had so that she could sit at the Savior's feet, her Savior's feet, and listen and just be in his presence. And that what it, that's what it means to love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. Friends, don't you want that? I want that. I want that deep, intimate relationship with Jesus. I want the joy and the peace that comes from it. What are the things that are distracting you this morning? What are the things that you have to do after church that are just filling up your mind? What are the things that you have to do the rest of this week that are distracting you? What are the sins that you have that just keep coming back to haunt you because you haven't completely given them to God, because you haven't confessed them? What good things are you doing in ministry that you need to put Jesus ahead of? Because you see, friends, Van, you can come on up. If you don't put Jesus first, then all of the other things will be a distraction. In your worship folder today, you got a blue sticky. It's not as big as this one, but you got a blue sticky. And we're going to go to prayer in a few minutes, a couple minutes. And I want you to pray and ask God to, to show you the things that are keeping you from, from being as close to him as you should and from putting him first. And I would like for you to give those to God today so that you can be free to worship this one thing, which is Jesus. And then on your blue sticky, I want you to write the one thing necessary, the good part, Jesus, or some form of that. Jesus is really the only thing that you need to know, that he is good and he is waiting for you. You can come to the altar. You can stay in your seat. You can turn around and kneel in your seat, whatever posture you want to take. But I just urge you to pray and, and ask God what is distracting you from the good thing, the one thing, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence in this place this morning. I thank you that despite the fact that we are distracted by many things, Lord, that you wait for us to come to you, that you're patient with us. God, I pray that as we sit here and we just practice being merry in your presence, God, that you would show us what we need to do today, tomorrow, the rest of this week, the rest of this month, to be able to put you first. Lord, it's a choice. God, I ask that you would help me to put you first every morning. God, help me to be in your presence. Lord, if, if, if I don't let you fill me up, then I can't fill other people up, and I, I can't do anything on my own. God, help us to remember to invite you into our day, into our, our moments, every moment of every day, Lord, into to taking the kids to gymnastics, into going to work, into going to the grocery store, into going to play golf, whatever it may be, God, 
the point is just to put you first. The, the point is not to do less in most cases. The point is just to put you first and invite you along with us. God, I pray for anyone here who is struggling with the bad habit or with sin, Lord, and they, they need to, to just let that go. God, would you encourage them? Would you help them to confess it to somebody? Because, Lord, when we confess, when we confess what's distracting us, then that is when the bondage is broken. Help us to be transparent today, God, to you and to other people. Lord, if, if we need to apologize to someone and get that distraction out of the way, help us to do that. God, soften our hearts. I pray, Lord, that if you're speaking to someone here today, that they would not harden their hearts. Lord, that we would be transformed when we leave this place. God, we love you. I ask that you go before us this week and that you come behind us and that you would hem us in with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. This week, I want to challenge you to all, whether it's before you go to bed at night or whether it's when you wake up first thing. Either way, you're, you're getting ready for the day. I, I would want to challenge you all to spend a few minutes in God's presence and just ask Him to help you do that. I, I'm gonna, I want to be posting on Facebook all this week um, as a, a reminder for that. And I want you all to hold me accountable on Facebook or just in person or, you know, let's text, let's talk in life groups, let's put God first this week.